I actually was thinking about today, and I thought that it might be good for us uh, to start with a story. Like whenever you have an Indian man preaching in the pulpit, you are guaranteed to get stories. So that's just how we roll. So welcome. And uh, this, is a, this is a story of a, of a young uh, uh, musician from London. And uh, this, this young musician grew up and he had a tough life growing up. And he, uh, he actually, uh, uh, you know, he was really talented and he went on to catch a break and he became a celebrated, uh, wealthy, successful violinist. And so one day he was, uh, he was just thinking about all his success and he decided that it's time to give back to society. And so he wanted to do something charitable with his talents and his gifts. And so as he was engaging this thought, he chanced to see this report in the newspaper. And, and this is a report, it's a sad report of, a, of a, a, a homeless man who died the night before in the streets of London. And so he decided that he is going to, uh, um, you know, use his gifts and honor the life of this man. And he called the city and got, got all the information on where the funeral is going to be at. And so he, uh, on the day of the funeral, you know, the burial site was outside of the city. And so on the day of the funeral, he got in his car, he, he packed his million dollar violin and he keyed in the address of the burial site and he started driving towards this funeral site. And he, he left the city and as he left the city, the signals uh, got weakened and his GPS failed him and he, was, uh, he got lost. And so he is... Uh, now he's driving around in the countryside trying to find this place. And then finally he arrives in this place a couple of hours late. And by this time, everything was over. And uh, the hearse was not in sight. And people had already left. And just a few workers remained there, you know, a few diggers and uh, pouring concrete. And, and so he, he was so really disappointed and frustrated with himself. And so he got out of his car, walked up to where the concrete was being uh, poured and the vault was in place. And he decided that he's going to do what he came to do. So he pulled his uh, violin and he started playing this beautiful arrangement that he had composed. And so he, uh, uh, the workers listened to what he was playing and they were so moved by the music and they came closer to him and they gathered around him and he, he, he completed the arrangement by singing Amazing Grace. And by this time, the, the, the music was so compelling, the moment was so beautiful that there was not a, was a single dry eye in there. The workers were weeping and he was weeping and then he, after he finished playing, he was on his way to the car and then he heard one worker call out to the other worker and say, 27 years I have been laying down septic tanks in the countryside and not one time has anyone played the violin for me. <laughs> so, last week, like Chad mentioned, we, we have started uh, this new sermon series called Rooted and our hope is that we can look at different aspects of life and what it means to approach these different aspects of life as people rooted and grounded in Christ. And today we'll be looking at what it means to approach church as a people rooted and grounded in Christ. And I started, the, I started today with the story of the wildness because when it comes to the topic of church, many people, many, many, many people, when, we come, when it comes to the topic of church, we, are, we can identify with the workers. Like we enjoy the melodious music, just like how the workers enjoyed the melodious music but had no clue as to what its purpose was and what its context is. And so if you, if you think of it, like, you know, in the, in, the, in the Midwest today, there are hundreds of people that show up on a Sunday and may even go to a weekly group, but, but still remain largely confused when it comes to what the purpose and context of a church rooted and grounded in Christ is. If you, if you today, this week, if you, this week, if we walk around our city and 
let's say we were we were having conversations with people and we asked different people what they understood a church to be i guarantee you that we will have all diff, all different kinds of responses from people for some people uh, church church would church is just a cultural thing like church is a part of the culture like we they grew up they would say that we grew up with church like this is what we did if we are a, if we were born in this particular family we don't deeply think or talk about it we just attend church and then and for some others you know some others are are reacting to like in dead institutional religion that they that they see and they are reacting to it and they have they have reduced this the reduced the reality of church to just two people meeting together at coffee slingers to grab a latte that will fit their description of a church a church that has no discipleship a church that has no sacraments and then then you have others that have completely rejected church because of maybe painful experiences that they've gone through or painful experiences that someone else has gone through and then you have you have this group of people which is which is you know increasingly popular in all global city you know that we have people that have actually taken the the individualism that we see in the culture and has directly transported that into their view of church and have allowed that to inform their expectation of what it means to be a church will approach church like would like burger king like have it your way right and the reality is that to some degree many of us sitting in this room you know we we are recovering from one of these views or we have also been affected by one of these views and and then the the good news today is that jesus christ has not left church to our imagination jesus jesus given us clarity from the word of god about what it means to be a people what it means to be a church rooted and grounded in christ so if you have your bibles would you turn with me to the book of ephesians chapter 2 as we read verses 14 through 22 for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by his spirit what paul is saying here might not mean much to our modern sensibilities but paul is actually saying something that is really provocative to his original audience he's talking to the church in the city of ephesus and he's talking to especially two groups of people the jews and the non-jews or the gentiles and this is not just any group of people but this is two groups of people that hated each other that the hatred ran so deep that there was a there was in, in the in the temple in the jewish temple in the city of ephesus there was actually a, a wall a dividing wall that separated the out, outer courts and the inner courts and this dividing wall had this inscription that said any non jew who would venture who would wander beyond this point will only have himself or herself to blame for their imminent death 
Like how messed up is that? Imagine this morning when you walked into Frontline Church, you, you, you came past the foyer, and then you, you arrive at this large wall that, says, that has the inscription that says, anyone that does not belong to this particular culture, tradition, or ethnicity will be immediately executed. Now that is some deep hatred, right? But yet Paul says the most, he looks into this kind of division and this kind of hatred, and he speaks the most wonderful thing. He speaks the gospel to them. He reminds this people, he reminds this people that Jesus Christ, you know, through, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, has broken down this wall of hostility. He reminds this people that Jesus' body was broken and, and, and Jesus bore their segregation and bore the, their, their, uh, their sin, sinful racism and, and bore the wickedness that they held in their heart. And through Christ's reconciling work, Jew and Gentile has been joined together and there is one new humanity. And this is the church. And this is important today because it is, it is so beautiful to me because what he's saying is that following Jesus or belonging to Jesus is not just being better moral versions of ourselves. Jesus has created through his death and resurrection, he's created a new species, a new kind of humanity called the church. And this is, this is, this is exciting for me and I think you should be excited too this morning because here is what it means for us. Now, as far as I know, I have not, I've never been to a church where there are actual dividing walls now. There are no churches where you would find this kind of walls today. But if you are honest, if you would take an honest inventory of our own hearts, there are all kinds of walls that we have erected in our own hearts that keeps brothers and sisters divided and separated from each other. So the word of God that is resonating in the city of, the prophetic word that is resonating in the city of, of Ephesus is still true, still holds truth for us in this room today. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ is, has broken down those walls that, that we have erected over time in our hearts and Jesus Christ, Christ has reconciled us, not just back to God, but to, but to each other. And he has created a one new kind of humanity. He's given us a collective identity the collective identity of, of the church. He's, been, he's given that to us. And this is important because this, is, this helps us, this collective identity as his redeemed people helps us today to approach the topic of church and, and be the kind of people that are rooted and grounded in him. Paul gives us a, a, a few more word pictures, metaphors. And Paul, Paul, Paul gives us a, a few more metaphors that further tease out this through this reality. He calls the church the citizens of God's kingdom, God's family, and God's temple. Look at the next couple of verses. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul calls this uh, new community as the citizens of God's kingdom. Now, you and I know that the kingdom of God is not like a territorial jurisdiction, right? The kingdom of God is not a, not a territorial jurisdiction, but the kingdom of God is wherever God himself rules and reigns over his people. And, and, and this metaphor, in this metaphor, Paul is helping us understand how Jesus, our king, relates to the citizens of his kingdom. And there are a few things uh, that this metaphor shows us. First, this metaphor shows us that Jesus gives the citizenship to us. Like you and I, we don't, 
We don't get on a, on a treadmill of performance and we don't be better versions of ourselves and somehow earn the citizenship. This citizenship has been given to us. Jesus freely gives the citizenship to us because he's a gracious king. In addition to that, we see here that Jesus, you know, all, he calls all of us as citizens of his kingdom to live under his authority, to live under his authority as his people. Now, I know that for some of us, when we hear the word authority, that brings all kinds of baggage, that brings all kinds of walls up. You know, the, the word authority can, can sometimes be connected to our past experiences. But if, if, you, if you would, if you would stay, stay with me for a second, the authority of Jesus is actually the good news of the gospel. There is no good news in the gospel without the authority of Jesus. Imagine if Jesus came as a, uh, a, a limp-wristed, dainty king who would come in, who would stand on the sidelines and make some truth recommendations and truth suggestions. That's not going to go well for us, right? We will still be under the tyranny of sin, Satan, and death. We just sang together you know, a, a minute ago how, how Jesus, the lion of, lion of the tribe of Judah, roars over his people, and the grave has no claim over it because Jesus holds all authority in heaven and on earth and below. This is why we, we do things like send families you know, from here to another part of the world in the, hope that, 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 that in the hope and trust that Jesus will establish this church. Because there is not, there's not a square inch of land here on this earth that Jesus Christ does not have authority over. So this is what makes the gospel good news, right? And in this authority, he calls us to live in community. The language that we just uh, uh, saw in this passage is, is that he calls us fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. So this, means, this simply means that all the benefits of the life, death, and resurrection is to be enjoyed, but not to be enjoyed in isolation. The God does not call us to enjoy the benefits of his, the gospel by ourselves, but he calls us to enjoy it in the community of his people. Now, what does that mean for us this morning? Or what does that mean for our week that is coming? Here's what that means. This idea that we can enjoy the benefits of a beautiful relationship with God completely disconnected from the church is a strange idea. It's not a, it's not a biblical idea. It's actually this me and Jesus Christianity here to the exclusion of the church is actually something that stands in conflict with Jesus' vision of what the church should look like. So God is not calling us to be, no matter how gifted we are, no matter what revelation we have, God is not calling us to be Lone Ranger Christians. When we profess that we belong to Jesus, we are professing that we belong to his church. We, we, we are professing that we are invited to his church. Now, if this is not uh, convincing enough, Paul cranks up the heat a little bit, and he, he now gives us a more progressively intimate metaphor. He calls us this, the household of God or the family of God. Now, from being the citizens of God's kingdom, from relating to Jesus Christ as, as, as the king and us being a citizen, Paul now brings us home to, to a more intimate metaphor. He calls us the family of God. He calls us the household of God. Like, how crazy is that? I know that I know we, every week we, we kind of think about, we, we talk about, there's a moment when we talk about the family of God. And, and the truth is, the, this, this should excite us. If we belong to Jesus, this should excite us. The, the idea of being adopted into the kingdom of God is not, or the family of God is not this, not this thing that we use to fill the space between the end of the worship and the beginning of announcements when we shake each other's hands awkwardly. 
we have been invited into this diverse family of God. Like the, the mental picture that I have is the picture of a, of a, of a dining table with God, the fa- loving Father and the head, and us as His children gathered around Him. Now, I do understand that this is not a perfect family, right? That this is the one big dysfunctional family on this side of eternity. Like we are, we are, God is working on us. Like we are work, work in progress, right? Yet, I think there are some beautifully distinct things that we can consider from the metaphor of the household of God. Here are, here are some of those. This is a covenant family. We are a covenant family. We're not, we don't relate to each other based on a contract. We are a covenant family. Meaning that the, the invitation that we have into the family and what connects us, keeps us connected to the family is a fierce commitment that Jesus has towards us. Jesus is fiercely committed to his church. And this fierce commitment that Jesus has towards us is what keeps us connected to this family and keeps us, keeps us connected to God and keeps us connected to each other. This means, that, this means that in the household of God, you know, we don't relate to each other based on our convenience and based on our comfort or based on our preference. This also means that this is not the kind of household where we can bail out on this household and go and find another household when things get difficult. This means that, that, that we are connected together. This means that just how the Father has loved us, we get to turn around and love and engage our brothers and sisters in this family of God. And then this is a, a family that is formed by grace. Now, as I mentioned, I get it. I get it that we, are, we have all kinds of baggages. We are one busted up family on this side of eternity. But yet, yet we are a family among whom grace is at work. Now, I know that sometimes it takes time before our feelings catch, catches up to this truth. Sometimes I know that you don't always feel like grace is at work. But the reality is that we are a family with everything, all the baggage that we carry and all the brokenness that we bring to the table. We are yet a people formed by God's grace. We are yet a family where God's grace is at work. Jesus stands between the members of this household. We, we get to relate to each other through Jesus. This means that we don't have to pretend. Like we, don't, we can actually have super awkward conversations. And if you've been to a community group, you know what I'm talking about. We can actually have conversations. We can actually go to relational tensions. We can actually, we can actually bring our, our, our deepest fears you know, into this community because we are formed by the grace of Jesus. Jesus has already, Jesus has already proclaimed that we are a people freed by him. Like we, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to have a false pretense. We don't have to be the best versions of ourselves to be accepted in this family. We all stand on the same ground. That we are all justified by the blood of Jesus. We all walk in the freedom and, uh, that, that grace gives us. Now, now we are also, this, this is a family also, this is a family that is called to serve each other. And there are 59 times in the New Testament, the New Testament talks about the one another's of the Bible. Serve one another, uh, love one another, carry one another's burdens and pray for one another and honor one another. And, and these one another's cannot be lived in isolation. You know, you have to, this is lived out in the context of the household of God. This is lived out in the context of community. And honestly, this is, it is, it is in God, you know, the, one, of the, one of the big things for me and my family were coming 10 years ago when we walked into this community was, you know, the God has, you, God has used the hard seasons of being engaged in this family, in this community, and he has used, used the encouraging seasons to help me learn what grace is. What good is it if, if we can understand grace 
like as a as an intellectual thing what good is it if we can talk about grace and sing about grace but we don't really we've not we don't really have an experiential understanding of grace and the experiential understanding of grace we get to grow in an experience of grace when we allow ourselves to be a part of the family of god when we allow when we bring ourselves to a place where we have to receive grace from others and give grace to others this is when we start growing in grace now being submitted to the family of god also has another benefit we this this family this this kind of mutual submission which will help us to fight against the the individualism and consumerism that is in the air that we breathe in we we get sometimes this is what i mean by that sometimes i think we approach a church like we would approach like the super lunch chinese buffet in oklahoma city like on on some some days when life gets really difficult you can find me in one of those super buffets you know so it's uh, i know you guys are all healthy you like your quinoa and your seaweed or whatever else you eat you know i like like real food i like indian food and i like chinese food you know so this is uh, you can go to this buffet line where you have all kinds of like you have your crab rangoon heap right here and you have all kinds of stuff right this is how sometimes we approach church like we want to go we want to, we love the youth ministry in this church and so we want to be a part of we want, we want to go there and then we then we love the preaching in another community on the other side of town and so we want to be a part of that community and then we we are in the small group of a completely different church this kind of this kind of buffet this kind of church buffet is is a strange thing to new testament christianity god calls us to be committed to a tie, to be committed to a place and a people to be committed to a community of the local church because this is where we are known and this is where we get to know and this is where we get to serve and love each other just as how we would in a healthy household listen to this uh, quote by dr russell moore he says what would it mean if we took the radical notion of being brothers and sisters seriously what would happen if your church saw an elderly woman no one would ever confuse with cool on her knees at the front of the church praying with the body peers 15 year old anorexic girl can you imagine this picture with me what would happen if your church saw a white millionaire corporate vice president being mentored by a latino minimum wage earning janitor because both know the janitor is more mature in the things of christ friends as you and i we start to approach each other like this this imperfect community that is being perfected by the work of jesus starts to bear a powerful witness to a watching world about the transforming love of jesus christ you and i have been called to be in the household of god now paul uh, further drills this this the importance of church by using the uh, the next metaphor the last metaphor here he calls the church the temple of god look at the next few verses built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit and i just love the language that paul uses here what what he's saying what, what the essence of what he's saying is this he's saying what he's saying is that church is not like a good idea that a few people few smart people in history came together and conceived 
He says that it is always the plan of God. It is always the heart of God to build a people formed and changed by Jesus. And he, he builds this people on the foundation of God's word as taught by the prophets and the apostles. Now, this is super encouraging for me. Not only, not only are we, you and I, swept up in a movement that started in the heart of God, but in one sense, we are, we are connected to, I mean, it blows my mind that in one sense, we are connected to Old Testament saints, and, 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 and we are, this, is, this is something that has started with God and perfected with God, and one day we will be together in the presence of God. Like this, is a, this, this is why Jesus said, I will build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We've been called to be a part of this community. Now, the, 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 the picture that Paul gives here, Paul goes on to say that the temple of God made up of people held together by, is held together by Jesus. Jesus becomes the cornerstone of this structure, of this temple. Jesus becomes the, the Lord-bearing stone in this structure. I love this metaphor because I think it's, this metaphor is kind of the culmination of the other two metaphors because this, this metaphor, this picture actually calls us to consider the kind of interdependence that God is calling us to today as a church. This is, this is in, in plain speak, in plain language, what Paul is saying here is that we need each other. We need each other far more than we are comfortable to admit this morning. Like if you would, if you would think with me for a second, we need all kinds of different. We we need all the different stories in this room. We need all the different ways that God God has worked in the different lives in this room. Like we, you and I, need an arsenal of varied stories of God's grace in, in, that will inspire us and encourage us to keep running the race that Jesus has called us to diligently. We need the prayers and the presence of the brothers and sisters in this room right now on days that we are we find ourselves struggling and, and fighting temptation. We need the community of God's people who are willing to strap up and fight with us. I know for me, I know there are days that there are days when when I am struggling to believe in the steadfastness of God. There are days, even in this church planning journey, there are days when I need the voices of my brothers and sisters reminding me of the faithfulness of God as I struggle to remember them. We need each other. We need each other far more than we care to admit. You guys remember the, the story of the guy in the gospel who was paralyzed and who was on a cart and Jesus comes to his town and Jesus is preaching in his town and, and there's no way that this brother can get to the town because he's paralyzed. But this brother is not living life in isolation. He's got some good community around him. He's got some good friends around him. And these friends, they, they brave the crowd and they, they pick him up. They pick the cart and they, are, they, they, they walk, up to the, uh, walk up to the place where Jesus is preaching. And they, they, I mean, imagine this. They actually carry him on, a, on their shoulders, climb on top of a roof, break the roof and lower him into where Jesus is. Friends, the reality of life in this broken world is that you and I will find ourselves taking turns in different seasons to lay on that cart. And we hope and let's let's pray that that we would we would not just be people who hope, but we would have actual brothers and sisters that are willing to carry us and take us into the presence of God. We've been called to live as the temple of God, living stones held together by Jesus. 
Now, Jesus uh, extends this gift of community to us, right? This gift of community, the gift of the church that he extends to us, it comes with a high cost for him. I think of it, Jesus, Jesus, Je- Jesus had to lay aside the citizenship of heaven and enter time and space and enter the reality of this broken world. And Jesus, bearing the full weight of our shame and our sin, and he became sin on our behalf, on our behalf, and Jesus was cut away from the household of God so that you and I can be welcomed into the family of God. Now, the Bible does not shy away from telling us, reminding us that there is going to be a day. You can be sure of this. There is going to be a day when Jesus, when God will make his dwelling amongst his people, when we will be rescued from the very presence of sin. But even today, Jesus calls us to rehearse this future reality. He calls us to rehearse this future reality of dwelling with God by committing to be the, 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 temp, the citizens of the kingdom of God, the family of God, and the household of God. We need each other. So as we bring this to a close this morning, as we close the service, maybe you have been attending Frontline for a while and Maybe you've been coming here pretty consistently on a Sunday. and um, You may even call this your home church, but for some reason you've not completely given yourself to this community. You're not known to this community. Maybe there is something, maybe it's your past experiences, something that is holding you back from fully bringing your story of grace and fully bringing your gifts and engaging this community. If that's you here this morning, first of all, I want to say Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus is for you. And he invites you to be a part of this body. If this is where God is calling you, he invites you to take a step of faith forward and at least start having a conversation about what it would mean to commit to being known in the body of Christ. If you're here and you would say that you are not yet a Christian, and we're so glad that we're here, that you're here, and, and, if, and I just want to remind you that in the preaching of God's word, Jesus is actually coming towards you. He's moving towards you. I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you not just to the church, but to the, the, the one who animates the church, the one who holds the church together, Jesus Christ. And he saves and he would, he would add you to this imperfect community that is being made perfect by his work.